Well, for those of you visiting for the first time today, let me explain. My dad passed away about a month ago, and um, uh, that wasn't unexpected, and I was very much prepared for it. But now I've become the patriarch of my family, which was a fairly scary thought. And uh, as I traveled back to England, or as I prepared to travel back for the funeral last week, um, I've been thinking a lot about fathering and how the Apostle Paul changed in his lifetime from being um, a Pharisee, which was not all bad, but as history shows us, a lot of it wasn't great. <laughs> but he was very good at spotting what was wrong with people and pursuing them to fix what was wrong with them, usually fairly permanently. Like he was taking all the Christians off and having them thrown in jail and all that stuff, you know. And he was there at the execution of Stephen, the martyrdom of Stephen. Uh, he was there helping with all of that. So he was quite the firebrand, wasn't he? Except when you read his letters in here, there's something of a transformation has happened in him. And, and the, the verse that really struck me as I was thinking about becoming the, 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 the sort of senior male in my family was that line in 1 Corinthians about you've got loads of teachers, loads of guides, loads of people telling you what to do, but you don't have many fathers. And it really hit my heart that in the kingdom, God's looking for fathers and mothers. And I'm not just talking to the men. <laughs> Very conscious we've got ladies here who have great influence as, as mothers as well. And so as I've been reflecting on that, I feel like God gave me a, a kind of glimpse of something that I hadn't really seen before. I thought I'd share it with you this morning. You know, we have all these different ways of looking at life to figure out what's God and what's not. So we think about, for example, walking in the light versus walking in the darkness. It's a simple little mental picture of is what I'm involved in or what I'm planning, is that bringing light or is that bringing darkness? You know, there's, there's God's stuff and then there's the enemy's stuff, isn't there? Um, we think sometimes about am I living by law or am I living by grace? Because I don't want to be the kind of person who's just checking things off on my clipboard so I, I earn something from God. I want to receive from God that gift of life that he promised us that doesn't depend on my works. Um, we talk very often around here about am I a servant or am I a son or daughter? Because actually God wants sons and daughters. He's our loving father. He doesn't just want servants. He wants us to be in relationship with him. We talk about um, have I identified any wounding in my life and have I received God's healing? So there's wounding and healing. Uh, you see what I'm saying here? That There are all these kind of mental um, pictures or, or, or lenses that we look through. And this is going to be another uh, lens for us to, to look th at life through that helps us to go God's way. And it's this. Is this separating or is this uniting? I'll explain what I mean. We have an enemy who was thrown out of God's presence. We recall that, yeah. It's Isaiah 14 is the, the scripture that's most often used when Satan fell. Jesus said he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Satan has been cast out of God's presence. He's separated from God for all kinds of reasons we won't go into. But now he seeks to separate us from God too. 
That's his, that's his goal in, in the world, is to separate us from God. And God's goal is to bring us back into relationship. So God wants to unite us with himself. Satan wants to separate us, not just from God, but from one another as well. So we can look at life through the lens of, is this separating or is this uniting? Am I separating or am I uniting? Satan uses all kinds of tools. He uses rejection, of course. He uses isolation. He uses um, pride. <laughs> he uses accusation. All of these things to bring barriers between us, doesn't he? And then we get into um, regrets or divisions and that kind of stuff, or even just distractions. I meant to bring this with me, but one of Satan's greatest tools can often be what comes through these things. Because we get distracted and we allow life to separate us from one another and from God. Jesus was aware of this. He told us in John 10 that it's the, uh, it's the wolf that scatters the sheep. It's the thief that steals and kills and destroys. Don't worry, I'm going to get to the positive in just a second here, but I want to just show us that really the separating thing is the enemy's tactic. I was reading in James 4, I think it was. This was back while I was away, but I was reading in James 4. Let me just find it to be sure I'm giving you the right reference here. Oops. Yeah, James 4. I'm not going to read it, but the beginning of James 4 shows us just how much the world and the world system, as well as the enemy, can really mess with us and mess us up if we'll allow it. And uh, you can look at some of that later if you'd like to. Even in the book of Acts, in the early church, we see places where there was separation and division and disagreement. And... Paul and Barnabas, for example, fell into one of those divisions, didn't they? You know, <laughs> had an argument over who should come with them on the next trip because one of their guys hadn't really lived up to his uh, potential. And uh, so Paul goes one way and Barnabas goes the other way. Uh, but God shows us a different way. And God's way is always a different way. From the very beginning, God has created us in his image. We quote that quite often, don't we? Genesis 1.26 shows us that the, the image of God that we're created in is this unity between three eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if we're created in the image of God, we're created for unity with God. And then in Genesis 2, there's a little more detail about how humanity was created, where God takes a woman out of the man and then shows us that the two then unite bringing together two that have been separated, the man and the woman become one because God's primary purpose, whenever you see something for the first time in Scripture, you're seeing God's primary purpose. God's primary purpose is to unite what is separate, to bring together what has been taken apart. And then in back to John 10 that I was talking about earlier, in John 10, the end of the chapter, he says, No one will snatch my sheep out of my hand. I and the Father are one. So Jesus holds on to us, his sheep, and he is one with the Father. So we become one with the Father through him. 
I'd commend John 17 to you to, to read again. Again, I was reading that uh, in England while I was preparing for, for Dad's funeral. And, and it really hit me again just how much Jesus is uh, our high priest. He's there bringing to the Father all of the desires of God that we get caught up in. And uh, in John 17, at the end, he says this to his father. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them even as you love me. So there's a a global mission, if you like, of the Father and the Son by the Spirit in the children of God to show the world that they're missing out on the unity that God created them for, to be united with God in, in healthy, full relationship. It's what we were singing about as we were worshipping. Uh, I'm in over my head <laughs> because God has pulled me in to that relationship. And then if you turn to the to the final chapter, the end of the book, you ever like looking at the end of the book? <laughs> How does this end? Well, it ends pretty well, doesn't it? In Revelation 21, it says, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. So that's kind of my meditation process, if you like, to get to what I wanted to share with you today which is the general principle that God is all about uniting. And so we can apply that principle of, is this separating or is this uniting to, to our lives, to our own hearts, to our actions, to, to relationships? Is this separating or is it uniting? Now, of course, there's always a challenge, isn't there? In the church, Christians always disagree. <laughs> church would be so simple if it was just you and God or just me and God, but it's not. It's all of you. And there's probably, you know, I don't know how many people in the room right now, but there's that many different opinions about pretty much anything. And it's very common for Christians to disagree. That's why the New Testament is full of examples of how to disagree and what happens when we disagree and what to do about it, full of instruction. And I think it's helpful if we look at that when we think about separating or uniting. Because Paul, especially, wants us to understand how to get it right. We've mentioned Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15. I think he learned a great deal in his journey from that point forward that he wants to convey to us. He was something of an expert in those matters, really. By the time he writes these letters, he's gone through a lot. And God has taught him a great deal. And he's a father of the church. And so I went through some of the letters and um, I've paraphrased Paul's advice, but you can make a note of the references and, and look it up later. But as we go through, let's see whether these principles separate us or unite us. Let's start in 1 Corinthians 4, which is where Paul says, I became a, a father to you. I became your father in Christ. What he says in 1 Corinthians 4 is basically that you and I are responsible to Jesus for stewarding that revelation of love that Jesus brought. That's our responsibility. 
And he says, don't go beyond that responsibility. Don't get an inflated opinion of yourself. He talks about being an apostle, being sent by God. And he says that you know, sometimes in today's society, we tend to think, oh, it would be wonderful to be an apostle, wouldn't it? Well, Paul says, no, not so much. Because <laughs> to be a true steward of the revelation of love means trouble. It means weakness. It means suffering at the hands of other people. <laughs> it's a pretty rough ride. And Paul, of course, went through that difficult, challenging calling of being called to be sent by God. But when we go through that stuff, Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 4 that a true steward of the revelation of love is going to respond like Jesus would respond. So when you're attacked, you don't attack back. When you're rejected, you don't reject back. If I look at me, I don't qualify. Because when something comes at us, we tend to react in kind, don't we? <laughs> I know I do. I see some of you are nodding. Yeah, there's some honesty in the room. <laughs> but God understands that. We want God wants us to react in an opposite spirit. So when we're reviled, we love. When we're rejected, we reach out to accept and so on. Because God is looking for fathers and mothers in the kingdom, not just teachers who think they know best. So Paul's saying that relationship really matters. So what do you think? Would that sort of attitude be separating or would that be uniting? Uniting? Yeah, I think so too. Then I went over to Galatians. All of these letters are written to churches that are struggling with something. <laughs> in Galatians, in, uh, towards the end, in chapter 6, beginning of chapter 6, he says that, again, this is Mark's paraphrase, but he says, Restore those who make mistakes with gentleness, humility, and perseverance. Keep pursuing restoration when anybody gets anything wrong, bear one another's burdens is the, is the heading in most of your translations, I think. And again, if we do that, that's working against separation, isn't it? That's reaching out for uniting again, because it's God's heart. It's how God pursues you and me. Then I went back to Romans. Couple of different chapters in Romans that have got stuff to teach us on this. Romans 12, first of all, really says, Don't be impressed with yourself. <laughs> That's my paraphrase of the beginning of Romans 12. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't believe your own publicity. But instead, recognize that you've got a place in the body of Christ. That your place in the body of Christ is your unique design. That God has created you and formed you and wired you for a specific place, a specific role, specific gifting. And he's created each person with a different blend of those giftings that Paul mentions in Romans 12. Those of you who've been around here for a while will know that we, we really encourage everyone to uh, to discover their life language profile. 
because it comes right out of Romans 12, because each of us has a uniqueness that prevents us from being the same as anybody else. But on the other hand, we also need to understand one another so that we know how to adapt ourselves uh, to uh, be able to serve one another. So we live out God's love, Paul says in Romans 12. After that bit, the, the marks of the true Christian is the heading in my New Testament here. He, he talks about living out God's love by honoring others, by adapting to the needs of others, to, by seeking out those who are lower on the totem pole, if you like, and honoring them, and then living peaceably by doing good even to our enemies. So he talks about if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's pretty radical, isn't it? It's not the way our world operates. But it is the way God operates. If you've been following through the New Testament readings with us, we're around the crucifixion. I always forget exactly where we're at because I'm always a week ahead writing the next lot. But <laughs> we're somewhere around the crucifixion, aren't we, in the New Testament readings? And Jesus overcame evil with good. And I love how clearly it comes through in the Gospels, the way that Jesus did what God wanted and what pleased God, and what expressed God's heart to other people. Even as he was surrounded by all kinds of other powers that wanted their way, and wanted to turn out, wanted to turn the, the, the circumstances around to their own ends. So we overcome evil with good. Then a couple of chapters further on in Romans, uh, Paul said in chapter 14, he says, don't pass judgment on, on one another and don't put stumbling blocks in each other's way, but treat one another like Jesus who put others first. So we're looking to build one another up. We're looking to strengthen one another. We're looking to bring healing to one another. And in every aspect of that, the, the, the lens that helps us is, is this going to be separating or is this going to be uniting? Not just with us on a human level, but is this helping someone to reconnect with God when life has maybe dealt them a hand where they don't feel so connected with him? Just a couple more. Paul wrote to the Philippians as well. <laughs> and uh, this was an interesting little bit here. End of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. He's really saying, let your life look like Jesus. Working to agree. Coming into agreement. coming, Working through our differences so that we can represent the good news without any fear, even though we're suffering opposition. So he's writing to people who are being attacked, who are being opposed but he's showing them the way through that, that if we are suffering opposition, then we'll see that we are, how shall I put it? We're in good company. Because <laughs> Paul suffered opposition, that's how he learned to be a father. And likewise, we learn 
through the suffering to be fathers and mothers in the kingdom. I'm not saying it's fun, but I am saying it's essential. <laughs> Many of you know parts of Jane and my story, uh, and I'm not going to go into any detail on it, but we've gone through plenty of times where we have endured all kinds of suffering. Nothing compared to what Jesus and Paul went through, but nonetheless difficult times. But as we look back, we're very thankful for that suffering because we couldn't be the people we are today if we hadn't gone through that. And then he goes on to say <laughs> that we shouldn't be um, full of selfish ambition or conceit, it says in verse 3 of chapter 2, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Mark's paraphrase of that that I preach to myself is don't strive for what you'll get or how you'll look to others but put others first. Because Jesus didn't grasp for position, did he? It's what I love about the beginning of chapter 2. It talks about how Jesus emptied himself for us. He served others. He, he was humble and obedient even to the point of death so that he could reunite us with our Heavenly Father. There's all kinds of places like this in Paul's writing because basically the whole New Testament is about people who are a mess and what to do about it. So I find that encouraging, actually, because whenever I get discouraged, I can always find something in here that speaks of how God wants to turn it around. Um, just come back with me to Ephesians 4 for a second and then we'll sort of wrap it up a little bit. Ephesians 4 talks about unity in the body of Christ and that's why I wanted to land here. To, to finish this, he says, you've been called into one body. And in order to be one body, we need to walk in humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance. That's an old word, but basically bearing with one another, accepting one another as we are, but expecting God to help all of us to grow into what we will be. And so Paul says that we're to prioritize unity in the Holy Spirit and that the characteristic of that unity is peace. It was interesting as we were sharing communion, there was such a sense of peace settled over the room. Did you notice that? And then after we'd worshipped together, and as we were celebrating what Jesus had done, there was this beautiful peace rested on all of us. And I saw that, like, thank you, Father, that you come and you bring peace to our unity. So there's all kinds of places like that in Paul's writing, but each one of them comes down to that lens that I'm suggesting to you. That I've, I found it helpful. You know, is this going to separate or is this going to unite? Is this going to help someone come closer to God or is this going to pull them away? Is this going to help me be united with others or is this going to separate me from that? So we had the opportunity to meet David and Charmaine Hicks, our friends who were here last week and the week before. I'm very grateful for what David shared on Sunday. Very powerful. And I hope you ladies particularly feel uh, an enabling to be all that God made you to be. Uh, 
because you truly are fully part of what God is doing in this place. Uh, we do not believe that men are superior to women in any way. In fact, God left the best till last when he made ladies last. <laughs> but I loved what David said. And actually, I had a phone call from David and Charmaine yesterday. Um, they were listening to Emma Stark, who's a, a, a prophetic voice from the United Kingdom. And some of us were in Raleigh, what was that, a year ago, when she was there for the conference. Lovely lady. Anyway, she was. Uh, they were listening to a live stream of an event that she was at, and she said this. She said, the church is moving from alignment to joining. In other words, it's not about just, is this going the same way as I'm going? And therefore, we can kind of run in parallel for a while. But actually, the church is moving into a season where God is saying, no, you need to be joined into the body. And so they wanted to, to, to call and pass that on to me. And I felt that was kind of interesting, given what God had been working on my heart about. Of, is this separating or is this uniting? I feel like that's the same thing. So I feel like we're on the same page there. So those of you who've been around for any length of time will know that we, we prioritize community, uh, not just for our church family, but in the wider body of Christ as well. We really want to prioritize community. That's why we share communion <laughs> together. Uh, it represents something uh, for us to do that. So we look for agreement. We look for belonging. We're, we're prioritizing acceptance. We're looking for people to find their purpose. We want people to move into their destiny. So we prioritize unity. So how do we preserve unity? How do we handle it when others around us get things wrong? Because that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, it's fine to talk about unity when everything's good, but what about when, you know, when Robert offends me? Sorry, you just happen to be right in front of me. You, know, you haven't offended me, but you just happen to be right. Well, okay, yeah. Have at it. <laughs> how do Robert and I figure it out? when Robert, or when I offend Robert, that's even more likely, because I'm the guy at the front with a microphone. You know, maybe I offended him just now by calling him out in the middle of the meeting. How do we work it out when that happens? Because it does happen. Let's be real. How do we work it out? Well, it's Matthew 18, isn't it? Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20 says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Now, can you hit pause on that for a second? Because I'd like to explain two terms there so that we understand what Jesus is really saying. Because this is sometimes something that we get it wrong. So if we carry on with the example of, let's, let's do that Robert's offended at Mark. Is that okay? Because <laughs> then it's my fault. Okay, I don't want it to be your fault. I'd rather it was my fault. So Robert's offended at Mark. What is he going to do about that? Well, Mark has missed the mark. That's what sin is. It's taking aim at a target and missing. That's what the word for sin in the New Testament really means. It's missing the mark. How many of us in this room miss the mark? Okay, we're all still here. This is good. <laughs> go and tell him his fault. The word go there means go secretly. Go privately. Go carefully. Plan it out. 
In other words, don't deal with it in the glare of the incident. So I've offended Robert. He's going to think about how do I approach Mark? How do I come to him and say, you know, Mark, when you said that, that hurt me. Or you said something that I don't think is right. Can we talk about it? Or those kinds of. So it's, it's to go out of the heat of the moment rather than stand up and come out swinging. Because <laughs> we all know Robert wouldn't do that anyway. Because, <laughs> well, Jamie's laughing. Maybe he would. But <laughs> plan it out, think about it, pray about it, and then go privately and deal with it. So it's not that Robert is going to go in the car on the way home, talk to Jamie about how much Mark offended him, or go and talk to, to, to John and say, you know, what do you think I should do? Mark's offended me. Because then it starts to spread, doesn't it? And the ripples go wider. Robert comes to me, but he doesn't come in the instant. He comes having thought it through. How can I best, you see what this is? This is not separating, this is uniting. It's learning to navigate through our differences and our faults and our failings in order that we can maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let me tell you something. If I've upset Robert and he comes to me and tells me that, I'm going to be very thankful that he's done that. Because now it gives me the opportunity to ask him to forgive me privately without it being in the heat of everybody's got their feathers ruffled or their fur rubbed the wrong way. We wait till we can turn the cat around and then we deal with it. But notice this also. He goes and deals with it without delay. So it's not that he's going to think about it for six months so he can remember every detail of what Mark got wrong and then nail him with it. <laughs> he's going to take his time, but he's going to do it as soon as he can. So there's a little tension there, but it's out of the heat of the glare of the incident so that resolution is more likely. It's uniting rather than separating. And it's very interesting. I'm not going to go into all of the detail of, of that passage, but just a few verses further on, it says... Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound on heaven, in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, when Robert comes to sort out the fact that I offended him, we are going to reach agreement that we loose the offense and we bind our relationship because he's done it the right way. And now we can be brothers in unity because he had the grace to do that for me. And I'm very thankful for that. And he's very humble, which is beautiful too. Do you see how that works? We're uniting, not separating. It's that process of working to unite that's so powerful. Here, Jesus goes on to say, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So we take those other verses and we use that for, you know, prayer meetings or <laughs> declaring stuff. But actually, it's in the context of how do we work out the quirks that get in the way that would separate us if we let them. But God says, no, there's a purpose to us stumbling over one another. 
as we work it out the right way, there's a deeper unity comes out of that, which is beautiful. So find a way to address it in humility and with honor and not in the heat of the moment. That's where the unity comes in. Final verse, and then we'll do some praying. In Acts chapter 2, it says that all of the disciples were gathered together in one place. When there was unity, now, okay, their unity was a necessity because they were, they were scared. But they were all together in one place, the ones who knew that Jesus is alive. And it's in that unity that Holy Spirit came and the rest is history. We live in the good of that unity still today. Holy Spirit comes when we are united. And so there are skills that I want to continue to develop. And I commend them to you. I want to develop the skill of forgiveness removing offence. I want to develop the skill of humility removing pride. I want to develop the skill of allowing rest to remove striving from my life. I want to develop the skill of having intimacy with God that removes my independence. I want to be a son, not a servant, but a son or a daughter for those of you who are ladies. I don't want to be an orphan living as if I've got no father. I want to be a son. And I want to help others get to that place too. And I know you do too. And so we get there by recognizing Holy Spirit's presence. And when he shows up, we see what he's doing and we join in. And that's our calling as a church family. So to draw us to a close, I want to ask us to be quiet for a moment. Because Holy Spirit's here. Like I said earlier, I believe he's got more for every one of us today. And if what I've been hearing is helpful to any of you, it's because he wants us to grow in being united. United with him and united with one another. So let's be quiet for a second and say, Holy Spirit, would you just come and show me how you want to apply these truths to my life today. I want to read the last couple of verses of Psalm 139 from the Passion Translation because it kind of gives it fresh life for me. It says this, God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test. Sift through all my anxious cares. See if there's any path of pain I'm walking on. And lead me back to your glorious, everlasting way.
the path that brings me back to you. So, Father, thank you that you created us to be like you. And you did that knowing that your purpose is to unite us with you and with one another. But it's not easy, Father, because we're all human and we're tainted by sin and we get things wrong. We have faults. But you know us. So we invite you to search our hearts. Not just now, but each day. Search our hearts. Let us receive from you and from one another the grace, the freedom, the wholeness that only Jesus can bring. Thank you that you created community as a place of growth and healing. And thank you that you've called us to be a community of life for one another and for those who've not yet found you. So would you increase your presence among us? Would you teach us to reach out for uniting and not separating. We trust you to do that and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.